I hope you'll do that with that hymn, or the other option is you can have your children Google it on your computer, and, uh, and you'll, you'll probably find it much faster. So. Let me ask you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. The beginning of Advent, we started this series in uh, the book of Genesis, the first two chapters. So if you've missed the two weeks in between, you've missed a lot. Uh, we've gone from uh, Genesis and now we are in uh, the last chapters of the Word of God, looking at the big picture, the overall picture of why Christmas is necessary. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, thank you for the time of worship up to these moments and help us to remain in a worship mode as we listen to your word, as we are reminded of that which is to come. And Lord, I pray that that would bring us real hope, genuine hope in the midst of whatever we're facing in our lives and Put, therefore, those trials, any tribulations, any concerns, any anxiety into its proper perspective. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got to admit, I really had to scramble yesterday... To put together a sermon, I didn't want to do a whole lot of work, uh, you know, just in case the Mayans were right. And so, 
I told the staff on uh, Tuesday when we met, I said, uh, you know, I've got a lighter than normal week unless the world doesn't end and then, then it's, uh, it's going to get hectic at the end. Well, evidently, those who didn't know when they would end didn't know when the world would end either. But I've got some good news. Because there is one, there is one that does know. And you know what? It's not something to be dreaded. It's not something to put us off. It is that which brings us hope in the midst of this life. And the one who definitively talked about the end of the world is the same one who talked about his own end on this life and said, look, I'm going to die and I'm going to be put in a tomb, but then I'm going to walk out of it. And then he did it. So you can believe him. You can believe what he has to say about the end because the end of this world as we know it is not the end. We're going to talk today about the second advent. And, you know, we sang earlier, Joy to the World. We heard it sung wonderfully, didn't we? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And I know, and properly so, we sing this during Advent. Typically, we think, we think about when Jesus came to the the world the, the first time, the incarnation, and that that is what brings that great joy. But As we sing this through, joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Now here's the question. If he's reigning, why is there so much mess? How does that fit? And then it says, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Where'd that come from? From Genesis, remember? After the fall, that's the curse. And the song is saying, no more now that he's come. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And that's what we have to look forward to. That's the joy for the world. Now, let's remind ourselves where we have been. And I'm going to use that great theme. You've heard it from me many times in many contexts in terms of the flow of what takes place in Scripture, and that is creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Creation, fall. Redemption and consummation. Remember the dilemma, and that's the creation and fall.
uh, basically the first two chapters of the Bible. That's what we looked at at the beginning of this series. The first week of Advent, we talked about that. And then there, there was what we called the Great Fall. Sin came into the world. And there was a promise in Genesis 3. And that promise is one of redemption. It was the first place the gospel was promised. The Proto-Evangelium, they call Genesis 3.15, the first gospel. And so we have the creation and the fall. And then we saw the results of the fall. And we are still seeing the results of the fall. Last week, we saw a profound illustration of the sadness of living in a fallen world with the shootings in Connecticut. It was awful. We were all shocked. We all grieve with those parents, with that town, with those churches. Why would there have to be 28 funerals that no one was expecting? It was profound. Even with that, we have the, the tendency, and when I say we, I really mean we, because I have this tendency to not want to face up to, to avoid when we can the effects of living in a fallen world. And then it rears up and slaps us, and we have to deal with it. I found myself, especially last week, but still, I found myself changing channels, saying, I can't take this, saying it out loud, I can't take this, and changing channels, escaping to another channel, and knowing full well that the people in the middle of that can't just change the channels. Now, I would never, ever minimize what those families are going through. I can't begin to fathom it. It's horrible. I want to give you some perspective. Not simple answers, but perspective. Amy Reynolds, who works with our youth and children's music. And some of our youth last week went to the Children's Cancer Center. Tracy Rankin, the Happy Wheels ministry, goes there all the time. And as Amy was 
talking to us in staff meeting about some of the things that they experienced and how wonderful our youth were in terms of ministering to those children and their families and so on, it hit me and it reminded me, you know what? There are funerals going on all the time that just don't make the news. Funerals all over the country and every Christmas. There are funerals of children, the innocents we would call them, who are dying. And it's not going to be in the news. It's only when something as dramatic as Connecticut took place that we face up to the fact that we live in a fallen world. And living in this fallen world, the world does not offer answers that address the problem. You know what answers we're getting right now? Less guns or more guns. That's the kind of answers that we're getting. Now that can be debated. That can be talked about. But from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective, we've got to understand that's not the answer. It may address uh, a, a temporary thing. It may affect it slightly. But even if that had not happened in Connecticut, the, the world is still fallen. And this world is in need of an answer. As I read the Scripture... I take encouragement that Jesus is also disturbed by what he saw with the fallen world. I'll give you just a, a couple of examples. In Mark 7, and when I preached through the gospel of Mark, we, we hit this passage, so I'm not, I'm not going to go into it in any great depth, but there was a man that was deaf, and he had a, a speech impediment, and this is what it says was Jesus' reaction. Now, he was about to heal him. But here was his reaction prior to the healing. It says, and looking up to heaven, he sighed. And that's a, that's a great groan, a great outcry. And he said to him, Ephatha, which is be opened. He's about to open his ears up. Jesus, I am convinced, when he saw this, this man that couldn't hear and virtually couldn't speak, he saw the reason for his coming, that this world is fallen, and he didn't come just to fix somebody's ears or enable them to speak, but he came to address the problem, the big problem. And that's the fallenness of the world. Over in John 11, and 
you may know that <clears throat> passage is about uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus who had died. And it says this, when Jesus saw her, he's speaking of Mary, which is the sister of Lazarus, weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then later on, the same passage, it says, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Came to the tomb. So as he walked this earth, and as he was confronted by the effects of the fall, he would address them often. He would give temporary relief. But that wasn't why he came. Because he would raise Lazarus, and then someday Lazarus would get sick and die again because we're in a fallen world. So how can we since we're after, after chapter 2 of Genesis, and we're not yet to the end, we're not yet to the last two chapters of the Scripture, how can we uh, keep a balance of living in a fallen world without falling into despair when we see these things going on? And that brings us to his solution, the great solution. And that is redemption. We have the creation and the fall. And then between chapter 2 of Genesis and the last two chapters of the Scripture, we have the story of redemption. And when we see the effects of, of a fallen world, remember, we live in the in-between time. We are in that time when his kingdom has not yet come when the thorns and thistles are still here, when we're still living in this kind of a world. John Stott talked about the what is and what will be. He says, already the kingdom of God has been inaugurated and is advancing, yet it hasn't been consummated. Already the new age, the, the age to come, has come so that we've tasted the powers of the coming age. Not yet has the old age completely passed away. So we are in the already but not yet phase. And that's why it's so frustrating. Because we have a taste of it, but there's something much better that is coming. I'll give you a couple examples of that. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says this, We are not to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. That's the, that's the already but the not yet. Here's what I mean by that. It, it doesn't say, and I use this at virtually every funeral I do, it doesn't say don't grieve, but it says, and the reason it doesn't say don't grieve is because we feel the same kind of pain when there is a death that everybody else does. And we have that same kind of sorrow. But it says don't grieve like those who grieve that don't have any hope. And that's 
because we know that though the kingdom has not yet been consummated, it's not complete, it's not completely here, but it's coming. So we have the hope. So when we grieve, in our minds we say, yeah, but there's coming a time. And it's similar to how we struggle with sin. We still, in this interim time, we have a struggle with sin. We have temptation. We fall into sin. But because of his redemption, there's forgiveness. Now, there will come a time when we will no longer have temptation. And we won't need forgiveness because there'll be no more sin. See, that's the difference. But we are in that in-between time. So let's talk about the consummation. Let's talk about the second advent, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 1. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. The first heaven and the first earth, referring to creation, had passed away. That's referring to the culmination of redemption. And the sea was no more. Now, at first reading you may say, but I like the sea. I like the beach. Who wants the new heaven and new earth? That's not what he's talking about. As I I read, most commentators feel like it's talking about figuratively where the sea in the Scripture uh, usually is talking about the chaos of this world. It's talking about the effects, the afflictions of, of living in a fallen world. And so what it's saying is that's, that's, gonna, that's passed away, and it gets specific in terms of what he means, and we'll talk about that in a minute. What's, what's it going to look like when that sea has passed away? I am convinced in the new heaven and new earth there will be beaches and oceans. <laughs> Verse 2, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of Uh, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is what we've been talking about. He's going to reverse the curse from the fall. Remember, in the garden... Before sin came into the world, Adam and Eve had complete intimacy with God. And then they sinned, they're cast out of the garden, and they find themselves on the outside, and they can't go back in. They can't achieve that kind of intimacy again by anything they would do. It took one from the outside to come in. And that's where we see the glory of the covenant that is repeated over and over again. I will be your God and you will be my people. And here in Revelation 21, it's saying, that's it. 
that kind of intimacy that sin has broken will be restored. And that's what we have to look forward to. What's it going to look like beyond that? Remember that, that phrase that I just talked about, the sea has passed away? Here's where it explains it. He will wipe, verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Is that a good thing? Oh. There'll be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You ask yourself, what has caused your worst days this past year? Well, it's likely the things that have mentioned here are related. Some kind of pain or death. And here's what he's saying. There will come a time where you will never have to face that again. Ever again. The things that have caused you tears won't be there. So when he wipes away the tears that time, they won't come again, not from sadness. If there are tears, they will be for some other reason, some glorious reason, but not because of the effects of sin. There will be no more death, no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. He's not just replacing the old things with new. He's completing what he started. The last two chapters of Revelation show God completing what he started in the first two chapters of the Bible. And they will be the way they are supposed to be. So Jesus will never again be deeply moved or sigh, and neither will we, because this is what's coming. And that's our hope. Maybe you remember the legend of Robin Hood and his, who was with him? His, his merry men, right. Do you remember the story of that? I don't know how historic it is. Doesn't matter. Because there were historic things that were talked about. There was a king that wasn't good, that was oppressive, that was taking from those who had need. Things in that kingdom weren't right. And then there was a good king, King Richard. John was the bad one. King Richard that 
ultimately was coming back. And so Robin Hood and his merry men encouraged one another with that. And they began to whisper it to others. King Richard is coming back. And what that was was so, even though they were still under the oppressive regime, they could be merry men because of what was coming. The good king was coming. And that's not a bad picture of what we in the church, the position we are in, there is oppression in a fallen world. We are under that. But even in the midst of that, there can be joy because the good king's coming. And he's going to change everything. In C.S. Lewis's Narnia Tales, when the lion who represents Jesus, they call him Aslan, when he's on his way, you know what happens? The, The grass turns green. The snow melts. Everything changes. And then the word is out. Aslan is on the move. Aslan is on the move. And that's what gave them courage to carry on. I saw the end of a movie the other day that I had seen previously, uh, the whole thing, but I'd forgotten what happened at at the very end. It's a very secular movie. It's called Taken. And if you saw it, you know, there's... It's, it's violent. There's all kinds of uh, fallen world things that take place throughout the movie. But the, the story is that uh, this man's daughter is kidnapped. And she's overseas, and he finds out about it, and he does everything that is necessary to get his daughter back. There is nothing that is going to stop him, and that's what the movie is about. It looks hopeless, but he continues on, and when it gets to the end of the movie, he's taking care of everything, and he sees his daughter, and this is the part I had forgotten. She said, you came for me. And he said, I told you I would. There is nothing that would stop him because of the love for his child. And that's what we will see in Jesus. There is nothing that will stop him because of his love for us. And that is our great Encouragement. You know what our hope is? In Revelation 11, and you will recognize these words. The loud voices in heaven will be saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord 
and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Even so, Lord Jesus, quickly come. Let's pray together. Lord, we worship you. We thank you. That this world is not all there is. If that were the case, we should be in absolute despair. And Lord, I suspect, I know, that there are people that came into this church earlier today in that despair and without hope. Thank you that in trusting in Christ alone, there is hope and there is salvation and there is redemption. And Lord, may that affect every moment of our day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.